A reading from the Gospel of John. Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast their net and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his clothes, for he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. It's a funny image. You figure it would go the other way around, right? But anyways. (laughs) But the other disciples came in the boat. (laughs) Peter Peter jumps in the water and swims ashore. The other guys stay in the boat and, you know. Yeah, anyways. (laughs) The the other guys dragged the full net of fish to the shore. Uh, and they were, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net to shore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same thing with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. The second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But Peter felt hurt uh, because he had to say it to him a third time. Oh, because Jesus said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After this, he said to Peter, Follow me. As it is with a play, 
So it is with life. What matters is not how long the acting lasts. What matters is how good the acting is. A quote from the ancient philosopher Seneca. I have a bit of a philosophical question for you all today. Think you're ready for it? If not, it's coming anyways. <laughs> Here we go. The question is, what do you think would have been better? For God to have created the world just as it is now, just as we experience it now, or for God to have created a perfect, untarnishable world from the very beginning? A world where nothing ever goes wrong. A world where no one ever dies. A world where there is no such thing as suffering. A world free of tragedy. Just try to imagine how different your life would be, how different you would be, if you never would have learned what it means to suffer and to experience loss. If the grave never would have robbed you of any of your loved ones. If you never would have been shackled to things like sickness and disease. If your own mortality never would have been dangled before your eyes. I ask again, would a completely perfect world, free from all of those things that cause us so much agony, be better than this imperfect, agonizing world in which we live? A more simple way of asking it, would a life without any problems whatsoever be better than life as we currently experience it? The answer, my friends, is no. No. While life would definitely be more pleasant in a so-called perfect world, this does not mean that it would automatically be better. For the pleasant life is not always synonymous with the good life. And we all know this to be true, in theory at least. At least I think we do, right? Like, we all know that while it might be pleasant to play the part of the couch potato, <laughs> sitting around and eating chocolate cake and drinking Mountain Dew all day, every day of our entire lives, <clears throat> perpetually binge-watching our favorite trashy shows on Netflix, like, we all know that this is not <laughs> the recipe for the good life, right? It might be a recipe for a good weekend, <laughs> but not a recipe for the good life. No, it's a recipe for apathy, for poor mental and spiritual health, and, well, you know, tighter-fitting clothing, <laughs> to say the very least. And you also know that if you want to whip your body into shape this summer, like, you're going to have to stomach some misery, right? Because I don't care who you are, running is not pleasant. It just isn't. <laughs> As my high school cross-country coach used to say over and over again to us, if you are enjoying the run, like, you're not running hard enough. <laughs> Running is not all that enjoyable, but it is good for you. Lifting weights is not pleasant, but it is good for you. Yeah, sure, we might be more comfortable sitting on the sofa than we would be for like going for a long walk, for example. But that long walk is going to do us a lot more good than that sofa ever will, right? The reason why a broken world is better 
then whatever perfect world we can imagine is because in order to live well, you have to know what it means to suffer well. Suffering is indispensable whenever it comes to the good life. A lyric from one of my favorite songs puts it this way. At some point, we realize the time itself won't make us wise. We must learn what it's like to stand firm through dark night. It's nothing short of a tragedy that so many people today believe that their lives will somehow magically turn out to be like a fine wine in the end, that their character and their integrity and their virtuosity will somehow miraculously get better (laughs) with age. But my friends, this is nothing less, nothing less than one of the greatest delusions of our times. And it is the reason, the reason why we are living in the dark ages as far as wisdom is concerned. Getting older, simply watching as the time passes us by, this is not the thing that will make us wise. No, how we endure suffering, how we choose to carry that cross, how we stand firm through dark night, this and only this is the thing that makes us wiser. As one saint has said, a soul untried by sorrow is good for nothing. Yes, you can live well into your golden years and still have a soul that is good for absolutely nothing. Because again, it's not about how long the play lasts but it's about how well you played the part. But once hardship is embraced, it will become for us the greatest of all wisdom teachers. Without discomfort, without heartache, you would not know who you truly are and what it is that you are really made of and what this life is really all about. It's a lot like dating (laughs) in my mind. Like, most of us need to strike out a couple of times. We need to have a few really bad relationships. We need to experience some heartbreak before we can finally, like, get wiser and discern what it is that we really need in a partner. Without pain, there would be no such thing as wisdom. A world without suffering would be a world without insight. A world without disaster would be a world without virtue. As one ancient philosopher has said, disaster is virtue's opportunity. So are you going through some difficulty? Not to be too insensitive here, but good. (laughs) Now is your time to shine. Now is virtue's opportunity. The reason why we see so little wisdom around us, why so many of us have a hard time defining it today, is because most people spend the entirety of their lives either fleeing from or numbing themselves to difficulty. Like, I have lost count of how many people have come up to me over the years and asked this question, why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? 
Many other clergy out there, they claim that this is an impossible question to answer. They chalk it up to mystery. My friends, it's no mystery. There's no mystery about it. Bad things happen to good people because without bad things, there would be no such thing as good people. And more times than not, those things that we label as bad, they aren't really bad as much as they are just natural occurrences in life that inflict all of us. Father, the doctor gave me two months to live, and I'm worried I'm going to die soon, someone might say. But wisdom says this. I'm very sorry to hear about that. Just remember that you aren't dead yet, so fight this thing. But also, regardless of what happens, don't ever let this one thought ever slip your mind. That everyone dies in the end. Why should it go any differently for you? Well, I was expecting, I wasn't expecting it to come so soon. I thought that I had more time. And wisdom says yet again, more time to do what exactly? To finally become the person that you've put off becoming for decades? To do the things that you should have been doing all along? Like, if you haven't been making the most of your time so far, living each day as if it were your very last, what exactly have you been doing with your life? Why have you put off living your life until the very end? Well, I have prayed and prayed that God will take away my illness and all of my difficulties. He has the power to do it, right? Why isn't he answering my prayer? Wisdom responds yet again, probably because he knows that it's within your power to endure it, that you have the power to endure what every living thing must endure in the end. So learn how to pray in a different way. Instead of constantly praying for the burden to be taken off of your back, pray instead for broader shoulders. See what this does for you. Instead of praying for an end to your heartache, pray for a stouter heart. Instead of praying for God to take away your fears, look at that empty tomb and pray that you will be given the courage that overcomes all fear. Instead of asking for God to remove the thorn in your side, try to hear his voice whispering to you whenever he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Instead of fleeing the thought of suffering and death, study the lives of those who have suffered and died well and learn what it means to do likewise. Therein, you will finally stumble upon wisdom. And in the short amount of time that you have left, you will make up for decades of wasted time. This morning we read about how Peter was given a chance to make up for years of wasted time. Peter was someone who could never quite accept reality for what it was. He could never turn suffering and hardship to his own advantage. Thus, he always missed the point of what God was trying to do in his life. 
Think about the stories associated with him. When the waves got too high as he was walking on water, he lost his faith and he started to sink. When Jesus was transfigured before his eyes, he wanted to stay in the bliss of the mountaintop forever, proving that he was still oblivious to what Jesus' project was all about. When Jesus said that he had to die, Peter started to argue with him, which led Jesus to rebuke him and to call him Satan. When Jesus was arrested, because he was afraid, Peter ended up denying his Lord when his Lord needed him the most. But in our gospel reading for today, Peter's entire journey is held out before his eyes. He gets to relive in a small way the first time and the last time that he ever saw his Lord. When the resurrected Christ gave these fishermen disciples instructions as to where to cast their nets, the disciples recognized this deja vu moment for what it was. They were reenacting the first time they met Jesus and he called them to follow him. So Peter, he puts all of his clothes on and he swims to shore. He's ready to go and to follow his Lord once more. And once he gets to shore, Jesus sure enough gives Peter the opportunity to redeem the worst night of Peter's life. With each, Peter, do you love me? question, Peter had the chance to cancel out each time he had denied knowing Jesus. In other words, Jesus is giving Peter another chance to get it right. But then at the end of our reading, Jesus reiterates the one thing, the one thing that discipleship had always been about, which just so happened to be the one thing, the one lesson that Peter had always failed to get. That this whole discipleship project It's about learning how to suffer and how to die well. That the Jesus movement is about learning how to take up one's cross. Jesus tells Peter that there will come a day when he's going to have to suffer and to die. And then he invites Peter to follow him. In other words, Jesus invites Peter to follow him into the heart of Peter's own suffering. For that is where God has chosen to meet us, not in our perfection, but in our brokenness, in our agony, in our mortality. And the difference between the wise person and the the fool is that the wise person has learned how to transform their suffering into a sacrament, whereas the fool can't bring himself to kneel even at the rail. My friends, there's no other way to get to the empty tomb than through the cross. There's no other way to reach heaven's joys than through earth's agonies. There's no other way to discover the immortality of the soul than through this mortal body. There's no other way to the other side of the valley of the shadow of death than through it. The only way to Easter Sunday is to accept the reality of our Good Friday. Here's your homework for this week. If the saying is true that disaster really is virtue's opportunity, then spend more time this week thanking God for the opportunity 
than you do complaining about all of your little disasters.